Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I was out and about a lot this weekend. Many of you were there as well. And if you're like me, you're kind of like taking your phone, you're sort of halfway following everything. We were kind of off the grid here a little bit for the 4th of July Independence Weekend, Independence Day weekend. And uh, as, as we were, it just seems like every five seconds there was like some relatively big piece of recruiting news that took place. One of them, certainly a good thing. A few of the other things that took place were kind of like one of those deals where like Georgia fans were, were, you know, like nothing individually was necessarily all that, you know, traumatic but when you add it all together it kind of made for a weekend's worth of uj recruiting news that probably not the greatest ever let me kind of run through some of this then we're going to kind of build to a place that sort of feels like we've been before when it comes to georgia recruiting over the years first of all the good news here georgia got itself a very good defensive back prospect over the weekend daniel harris made his pledge he was set to announce just after we were off the air on friday we previewed this a little bit with jeff Sintel and talked Talked about what makes Harris a good-looking guy coming out of that South Florida region, a place that's produced great defensive backs before. You like Harris as a player. One of the things that Jeff told us on Friday was is that, and this is kind of the thing you hear from time to time, that Harris in a different part of the country is maybe rated even higher than he is. But, you know, down there in South Florida, among so many other great athletes, that you have a tendency just to kind of blend into the scenery there a little bit. But nonetheless, Georgia got itself good-looking uh, commit on Friday, and Daniel Harris will show his social media announcement and all of that. And certainly that was uh, worth celebrating and uh, good stuff. And you like the photo there of Kirby Smart and Sport Code and Harris, much the same way, right there in the uh, in the tease for his announcement, had the white uniform on with the chain around that. He also uses that to uh, to make his commitment announcement. Uh, mom holding the national championship trophy, and all of that was a really great thing to be able to see. But that story, unfortunately, over the course of days, was kind of uh, some of the momentum from that was seemingly upended by couple of decommitments a couple of guys going elsewhere let's run through this a little bit Ryquez McKeldry who is a offensive lineman who's been in the mix for Georgia there for a while McKeldry uh, uh decommitted from Georgia very quickly committed Alabama after that uh that's a guy that you know just kind of moved on uh pretty quick there to the Crimson Tide some Georgia fans were kind of wondering about that yeah Antoine Jackson the uh defense back for the class of 2024 uh, who had first, you know, guy to commit for Georgia in 2024 class. Now uh, he's stepping back on that hometown school, Miami. And a lot of Georgia fans are like, wait, what's going on here on this? But it wasn't just decommitments where this was kind of the issue. You also had guys that were big targets of Georgia for the 2023 class. At one point in time, you probably felt pretty good about guys that were a part of that big weekend there in June at the beginning of the month when a lot of guys were coming in defensive lineman Sadir Mitchell who seemingly Georgia had been a pretty good spot with for quite some time uh Mitchell very quickly seemed to develop some momentum with Texas and Mitchell made his pledge to the Longhorns we'll show you that on the screen a lot of people assume that this is very much NIL related Texas thought to be one of these schools that has deep NIL pockets and uh the way in which Mitchell changed so quickly from strong relationship to Georgia obviously Georgia has you know produced great defensive linemen as of late uh for Mitchell 
Mitchell to ignore that, turn around, and go the other direction with the Longhorn so quickly led some people to think, well, obviously NIL must be a big part of this because NIL is thought to be a big driver for both the Longhorns and their in-state rival Texas A&M on that. That's been the way in which this is perceived to be for uh, for a lot of folks, but it wasn't just the Mitchell news. You had Deshaun Womack, another one of these guys, uh, you know, impressive front seven type player who uh, was also recently at George in the month of June. He also kind of made his pledge and announced he's going to LSU. Uh, another one of those, a little bit of uh, setback type deals. I do like the fact that uh, he's holding the LSU National Championship trophy and uh, his picture. Are you allowed to do this? Like the thing about Brian Kelly is he's never even come close to a national championship. Been in the playoff a couple of times, been, you know, bounced out uh, very quickly each time, playing Alabama for the 2012 uh, national championship back when he was in Notre Dame, come, got completely blown out in that game there as well. I mean, the whole point of Kelly's career is he can't get close to a national championship trophy. Are you allowed to celebrate a national championship that was won by a coach who you later fired? Like that, to me, this seems like the, I don't know uh some sort of sports law being violated here this is that lsu is using these edits celebrating a national championship trophy this current coaching staff didn't win uh, that could be some bad karma coming back their way on that one way or another maybe but anyway you had a couple of guys who are georgia targets committed elsewhere you had a couple of guys who were georgia commits they decommitted and moving on to other places some of this kind of overshadows the daniel harris commitment news and lo and behold here we are kind of middle of the summer and it seems like once again we're left to wonder what's going on with uga recruiting and obviously if you're a very plugged in georgia fan you kind of laugh at this a little bit because this seems to happen every single year and there are plenty of people online including our own forum forum.dognation.com for a long time this was a very popular thread though what's wrong with georgia recruiting or uga recruiting whatever the threat uh, thread title was where people kind of came in there and mocked the georgia fans who get worried about recruiting this time of year but let me defend georgia fans here just for a moment every year when the what is wrong with georgia recruiting topic comes up when georgia fans get worried about georgia recruiting in the summertime because you know you either have like you had this weekend guys commit elsewhere guys flip away from georgia go elsewhere every single year when this pops up and it always seems to pop up right about now you know late june early july something along those lines when this happens there's almost always a good reason why the question first emerges or there's almost always an obstacle standing in george's way that makes being concerned about ug recruiting seem like something that is worthwhile to do i mean for instance when you know you look at what's going on right now there are a lot of people who say Oh, well, Georgia hasn't figured out NIL. NIL recruit, you know, the NIL, NIL age, <laughs> easy for me to say, the NIL age where no matter what people, you know, say publicly, privately, it seems like that sort of financial enticement is being used to draw recruits, that Georgia hasn't navigated this as well as it was pre-NIL culture. And all of a sudden you're seeing Georgia suffering in the recruiting trail because of that. And who knows? Maybe that is true. Uh, but saying that now doesn't feel all that different than what we were saying spring and summer going into the 2020 National Signing Day when a lot of folks were saying, ah, oh, you know, pandemic, you don't have visits. Kirby can't recruit if he doesn't have visits. And you had all these, you know, remember Tennessee commitments during the springtime and you had this other momentum for these other programs. Georgia didn't kind of have some of that for a while. And much the same way that people were saying, 
in the 2023 cycle oh you know georgia's having trouble in recruiting because uh they haven't figured out nil is the same thing folks were saying going in, like say the 2020 cycle when it comes to uh georgia hasn't figured out how to recruit during a pandemic uh or when you know you want to go back to even before that you know the idea of you know going into like say the class of 2018 you remember this summertime there in 2017 at one point in time georgia was ranked in like say like the 70s like 70 something in recruiting and it wasn't just the recruits they were uh missing out on some of the commits they were taking were a relatively low star you know low notoriety low fame uh, a lot of guys that a lot of georgia fans didn't know all that much about it seemed like georgia was in some respects kind of settling for some of the recruits that was taking and that was kind of the genesis of the what's wrong with georgia recruiting topic and i was thinking about that this morning here a little bit that if you want to go back in time to when all of this kind of began when georgia summertime in 2017 was um as i said before just kind of floundering down there rank you know 70 something in recruiting on the heels of having a number three recruiting class the class of 2017 but the 2018 class had no momentum and the stuff that people were saying then is really not all that different than what they're saying right now except the the reason for the worry was just different now people say oh well georgia hasn't figured out nil kirby smart hasn't figured out nil and therefore there are some bumps and bruises in recruiting because kirby hasn't figured that out the same way supposedly he didn't know how to recruit during the pandemic although georgia still put together a great recruiting class whatever else but back then it was oh well kirby had the number three class in 2017 because he had early playing time to sell but on the heels of having a class as good as that class was and it seems strange to think that at that point in time we were over the moon excited about a number three recruiting class given all the success that george would go on to have but back then it was well kirby had early playing time to sell in 2017 but for the 2018 cycle he doesn't have that anymore and so therefore he's finding recruiting to be not quite so easy to do or the thing that got said was okay for the class of 2016 which would have been kirby smart's first and the class of 2017 which would have been kirby smart's second the thought was well kirby had personal relationships with these players going back to his time as an assistant coach at alabama he had more contact with them but now as a head coach he's not able to do that anymore there are rules that restrict head coaches you know involvement with their um with recruits so therefore his personal involvement has been lessened and therefore he's not as good a recruiter as he was george as a program is not a good a recruiting program as it was and therefore the 2018 class is going to suffer so in the midst of all of this talk about what's wrong with george recruiting and the 2018 signing class and all of that there was a moment on this show that to me stands out after all these years is still one of the most interesting things that i think has been said here in this show and it wasn't said by me and we've been now doing this for a number of years and so a lot of the audio that i've had over the years i've just kind of lost for whatever reason it just kind of slips through the cracks i don't really even know how it goes away but eventually you change computers a bunch you, you do these kinds of things you just sort of hemorrhage some audio throughout all of this and so i've kind of lost this clip the only thing i could kind of find on this was a very faint sort of poor recording of what i'm about to play for you but this was jeff's intel and you got to put yourself here now understand the context of all of this this is summer of 2017 in other words Georgia has had the number three recruiting class for the 2017 cycle, but they haven't had really any on-field success yet. 
the only season in the smart era when Jeff says what you're about to hear him say was the 2016 season. Georgia had gone eight and five, but had a stretch during that year. They lost, what, three consecutive games, lost to Vanderbilt, almost lost to Nichols, got heartbreaking loss to Tennessee, got beat by Florida. It was not a good year. So there was no on-field product to sell whatsoever. There was a number three recruiting class in 2017. A lot of guys at the time, it was thought, jumping to take advantage of some early playing time. And with Georgia kind of floundering with the 70-something ranked recruiting class for the class of 2018, Jeff came on this show and said something that was profound at the time, but turned out to be prophetic of how he knew that Georgia coaches were reacting to the fans who were worried about Georgia recruiting at the time. And this is really valuable, really interesting. This was from summer of 2017 at a time in which the 2018 recruiting class for Georgia wasn't seemingly doing very well at all. The audio quality is poor, but I'm going to play it for you anyway, just to prove to you that it exists. Jeff Sintel from our show, summer 2017. I talked to a lot of recruits, a lot of recruits, tell me that the Georgia coaches kind of laugh at all the headlines about woe is Georgia, they can't put together back-to-back strong classes, yada, yada, yada. Those, those coaches, according to the recruits I talked to, feel very bullish about what they're going to build in 2018, but all those gifts haven't been unwrapped under the tree yet, so that's something for the fan base to pay close attention to over the next four or five months. See, this to me is really amazing that Jeff said then the Georgia coaches were laughing at fans on shows like this that were worried about the current state of Georgia recruiting because the coaches themselves knew they had a plan. The coaches themselves knew they were going to get big time prospects. By the way, it turned out to be the number one class for the class of 2018, although it started summertime ranked 60 something 70 something, whatever it was. But those Georgia coaches were confident in the plan that they had. And to fully understand the context for all of that, you have to appreciate the fact that all of this was taking place before Georgia had had any breakthrough on the field whatsoever. The 2017 season that would result in winning the SEC, going to the college football playoff, the thrilling Rose Bowl win, and coming very close to winning the national championship, none of that had taken place yet. The recruits themselves didn't have an on-field product to buy into yet. They just had Kirby's vision. But the coaches themselves knew that the recruits behind the scenes, quietly behind closed doors, the guys who were getting a chance to see what was actually going on with the Georgia program, they were buying into that vision. And every year since then, when the same topic creeps up, I find myself thinking back to that moment in the summer of 2017. When fans were worried about recruiting, the coaches themselves weren't worried about anything at all because behind the scenes, they knew what was really going on. And when the pandemic happened and nobody was taking visits and it seemed like Georgia was moving slowly in recruiting, my guess is behind the scenes, the coaches were still just fine with what was playing out. And here we are in the class of 2023 and the current cycle that we're in, and the entire deal seems dominated by NIL, and so-and-so seems a lot more brazen to throw money around, and a lot it's a lot easier now to lure a player very quickly just on the basis of the financial offer that you're making to him, even though technically you're not supposed to make that offer, but we know that that's exactly what's going on. And somehow it's created this angst again in some Georgia fans of what is going on with UGA recruiting and how does Georgia navigate all of this? Well, if the recent pass is to be our guide, Georgia will have a plan and you can't get everybody and you never will be able to, But will you get enough to produce an elite class? Will you get enough to stay remain competitive at the national championship level, competing for those spots in the college football playoff? 
every indication that we have is, yes, that is indeed the case, that things seem to change from year to year. The thing that folks get worried about, the, the stumbling block that could harm you in recruiting always seems to be something different, but it always seems to be present. And for a while, it seems to appear that maybe Georgia's just not quite handling it as well as you'd like for them to. But come signing day, very few programs can say they had a class as good looking and as elite as Georgia's is. That's been true in the past. I have every reason to believe that it'll be true in the 2023 cycle all over again there as well. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us today, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 Rev. By the way, good to be back on the radio again today after a little bit of a holiday hiatus yesterday. Of course, podcasts, Apple, Spotify, the Google Player, worldfamousdognation.com. So many ways to connect there via the podcast. We're happy that we're able to do that with uh, you and so grateful to have our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia part of what we are doing today. The one you turn to when it comes to your foundation, your waterproofing issues. And listen, there's a ton of rain yesterday. We're driving home and um, I think part of uh, 400 was flooded. I mean, we had to be rerouted because I believe there's a bunch of flooding in the road and stuff. That's how much rain there was. And if it's enough to flood the highway, it's enough to flood your basement and that's one of those things that's a big concern and you've seen evidence of before or you mean you know you're susceptible to that right now and that's where my friends at engineered solutions of georgia can help you on that because they are a solutions-based company if you're facing that problem well they want to provide you a solution for that or if it's a foundation issue and you know what this looks like those cracks in the wall uh, you see that you know it could be a sign of something more substantial it's easy to want to put that stuff off and not worry about it but with my friends at ESOG, I think they want to give you more peace of mind than that. They don't want you to have that lingering issue that you haven't done anything about. They want to put their full resources, uh, you know, for you, go to work for you. They got an entire team of engineers on staff. There's nobody else in the market that can say that for you. Those are the resources they put towards dealing with your foundation, your waterproofing issue. They're also proud partners of UGA. Makes them really, really fun to do business with. It's always good to support those that support the dogs. And they've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily there as well. So make sure you check out Engineered Solutions of Georgia. They're very easy to contact. The number, simple to remember, easy to remember, 678-ESOG now. Just simply dial 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We are going to get in touch with John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. Special Tuesday appearance for him, but happy to have him with us. Before that, though, I do want to do a, a quick version of Around the Doghouse before we bring that up. And I want to celebrate some really good news for a moment. Uh, Scott Cochran had a cool announcement over the course of the weekend. I'll share that with you in a moment. But I want to give some context on Cochran here because speaking of old episodes of Dog Nation Daily, I was thinking about this related to Cochran, that the players who have worked with Cochran over the years, going back to his time in Alabama, when he was longtime strength and conditioning coach, man, they seemingly, almost universally, have such praise for the way in which uh, Scott was able to connect with them. And I remember when it was first announced that Cocker was going to be hired as Georgia's special teams coach, becoming an on-field coach after having been strength and conditioning coach at Alabama for such a long time. We had Mike Johnson on the show. Now, a lot of you know who Mike is, but as a little bit of a reminder here, uh, Mike was a very good All-American level offensive lineman when Alabama won its first national championship under Nick Saban in 2009. 
went on to be drafted by the Atlanta Falcons and played with the Falcons for a number of years, uh, still lives in the area. Mike and I used to do a show together called SEC Country Live and love working with Mike. I think he's a terrific football analyst. Great. He's in world of coaching now, does a great job there on that. But anytime some of this kind of stuff pops up, Mike has been a guy that we've liked having on the show here because he's just such a great frame of reference, having you know known Kirby, going back to Kirby's time as defensive coordinator, but also knowing the inner workings of the Alabama program. Somebody who's behind closed doors and all that can really be a very valuable resource. And so knowing how Mike felt about Cochran representative how so many other um alabama players had felt about cochran when georgia first hired him to be special teams coach i wanted to bring on mike to give us an idea of just what players kind of think about scott cochran so in light of what cochran has announced over the weekend i want to share with you this uh sort of throwback from last summer on dog nation daily of mike johnson the former alabama player an all-american player at alabama talking about what Scott Cochran meant to him and so many of the other guys who came through during that period of time with the Crimson Tide. So here's a little bit of a look back on what Georgia was getting when Scott Cochran was first hired from Mike Johnson. He's an authentic person. He's not going to you know, BS with you. He's going to tell you how it is. He's going to tell you how he feels. He's going to tell you what you need to do to be great. And I think that's why so many guys connected with him. There was no facade. You know, you talked about the offseason – for all intents and purposes, he was the off-season head coach at Alabama. I mean, you don't see Nick Saban on a day-to-day basis when you're down in the weight room, when you're running sprints. It's Scott Cochran. When, when Nick Saban is off recruiting or when some of those coaches have off time during the summer, it's Scott Cochran. I mean, he is the head coach and kind of the go-between, and I think his personality just allows him to kind of develop those relationships with players. That He's just an authentic person. I think that's why Kirby feels very comfortable in moving him to a role like special teams because – he can touch every position group on the team and continue to develop those relationships much in the same way he did as a strength coach. So that's what Mike Johnson, the former Alabama player, said when Scott Cochran was hired by George. And I share that because I want to give context here for just how much Cochran has meant to so many of the people who've kind of shared a football locker room with him or a weight room with him over the years. And at the time, we thought that Cochran was being hired to be George's special teams coach this is going to be his first on-field coaching role after being a strength coordinator for a long time but unfortunately Cochran had to step away from football shortly after being hired here and you know respecting privacy and things like that not a lot was said about Cochran leaving when he did leave although there was certainly plenty of insinuation about what might be going on however over the course of this weekend we got some really good news from Scott Cochran, and in the light of everything else we talk about here, which is obviously you know so much fun and entertainment related to recruiting and getting better to be on the field and things like that, sometimes stop to appreciate what's actually going on in the folks' lives that we talk about here is probably appropriate there as well. So with that in mind, let me share this with you from Scott Cochran, who I think this is just a great photo. He says, proud to be one year sober. This one means a little more than the rings. And so what he's uh, showing you off there, for those of you listening to radio podcast, the various championship rings that he's won over the years, a lot of those obviously at Alabama, uh, where he worked for a long time. But right there, with both hands, with the rings on the fingers, he's also holding the uh, – uh, the uh, uh, I forget if it's called a coin or a token. I, I'm sorry for not getting the, the language right, but obviously representing uh, a year's worth of uh, being sober here, which is such a tremendous accomplishment, such a happy you know story. Obviously, from where he was 
a year ago that caused him to need to step away from the football uh, program. He's been obviously back with the football program a little bit. We saw him in the national championship celebration. We've we've seen you know evidence of him around the Georgia program. Um, but celebrating a year's worth of sobriety here is such an amazing accomplishment and such a cool thing. And you know it, it's an example of uh, just a really really great feat here. And we continue to wish him well. Uh, Coach Cochran is in all of our prayers. I'm sure you feel the uh, same way there on that. So, so happy for him to be able to share some good news there on social media. And I hope he certainly feels the way in which a lot of folks have been rooting for him throughout all of this. What a cool thing that is. And uh, just happy to be able to celebrate that with him here today and the uh, journey that he's on right now. So great stuff for uh, for Coach Cochran. And that is a really good thing to be able to see. So we got a lot more to do for you on our program here today. Uh, before we're done, there was a lot more recruiting news that seemingly took place around the world of college football over the weekend beyond just what happened here for uh, UGA. The holiday weekends oftentimes become a big time to uh, make commitments, and it was certainly a big time across much of college football, the SEC included, uh, here, of course, uh, across the 4th of July. So we'll cover some of that with you. What's next after USC and UCLA? Last week, we learned they were joining the Big Ten. There is plenty more aftermath of some of that kind of stuff uh, kind of unfolding. We'll talk about that. A lot of this is obviously speculation, but we'll speculate right there on that. Georgia obviously looking out for uh, Malik Benson, the junior college wide receiver who's getting ready today to make his commitment announcement. We'll pay attention to that. We're also uh, knocking on the door of the Jamal Jarrett announcement here coming up too. So there is a lot to do before we are done. We'll have a, a funny golden shoe for you today there too. But for now, before we get to any of that, let's talk some Georgia football with a guy who's always fun to discuss it with. I know he had a great 4th of July weekend. I'm sure he set off some fireworks if the rain held off for him. Uh, but nonetheless, we'll have a good time with him right now. It's John Stinchcomb here on dog nation daily in fact let's make this a Kruger fresh take with john stinch come here today from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a DogNation.com insider say hello to john stinch not usual for us to have him on a tuesday but it's great to have him any time that we can and of course we'll call this a kroger fresh take with john Stinchcomb here today john hope you had a great fourth of july weekend uh, i'm sure you had plenty of fun if the uh, weather cooperated for you and it's also great to be talking georgia football with you again here there also absolutely we had a blast figuratively literally uh, and the weather was perfect so oh good it was a uh, it was a great fourth of july hope you had the same and the rest of dog nation yeah, so I was driving a little bit last night. We didn't have kind of the traditional 4th of July where we were kind of sitting in a lawn chair somewhere looking up at the sky. We were driving a little bit. It was raining pretty hard at times, but it's kind of funny. It's like as we're driving, you still had fireworks going all, you know, going off all over the place. Mm. You know, a little bit of rain not going to stop folks from shooting nose off. And at, one, at, at certain points of our drive, it was more than a little bit of rain. It was actually a good bit of rain. So I'm happy to hear that the uh, weather was good for you where you were. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Perfect. We were able to uh, get the slip and slide out, get in the pool, and the weather held up. Had fireworks again, so great day. So we obviously uh, talk about a lot of stuff here related to our enjoyment, entertainment that college football provides. Uh, we don't get into two series of stuff too often, but I did mention this a moment ago uh, that Scott Cochran, the Georgia staffer, celebrated a year's worth of sobriety. He put that out on social media yesterday. And, you know, John, you as certainly as much as anybody know the demands that exist behind closed doors for coaches and for players. And, you know, oftentimes those of us who talk about this from a media standpoint or just watch the games on television, 
maybe we don't get the 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 full picture of that we don't think of the the people that we see on our screens as fully formed human beings but they obviously are and to see Cochran yesterday or over the course of the weekend get a chance to celebrate such an important milestone and the kind of work that it takes to kind of get to that point I, I know you must have been happy for him I, I certainly am uh there as well I know there are a lot of people who certainly uh would say that he's been a huge influence on their life. So to see him in a good place here right now, I know that should be treated as good news for all of Dog Nation, should it not? It should be. And I think it, it, it's a testament to the fact that we all have our struggles and our demons. And, you know, there's a lot of times where we're rooting for players and coaches and have no idea what they're dealing with off the field. Having been in a locker room for a good percentage of my life, um, you can marvel at the fact that uh, so many folks are juggling and dealing with some some truly serious adversity and challenges and demons at times, and yet on a, any given Saturday or Sunday, um, there's hundreds of thousands and millions of people that are cheering their names and completely unaware of what else is going on in their life. So I think this is a, it's a great testimony for recognizing that these are men and women that that are participating in this game in various forms and fashions and um, they still have life like the rest of us and it's not always kind but when you hear success stories of being able to overcome um, some pretty significant adversity for a man that's impacted a, a huge number of lives that's a positive tale that we all should be telling. Yeah, I guess my final point on this is I think a lot of us kind of define our lives by how busy we are. We like the we like the idea of moving very fast, especially in kind of a football world where it seems like everything's going 100 miles an hour all the time. And to kind of pull back and say, I need to slow down for a minute. I need to step away for a minute. I need to get right with myself over here. I just think that's one of the bravest things you can do because you're you're kind of moving against your natural tendency of, hey, no matter what you know, may be going on with me internally, no matter what it may be costing me in terms of my, my, my health, I can't slow down. I can't stop doing what I'm doing because this is how I define myself. I define myself as a person that works in football. But to step up, to be brave and say, no, I'm not in a good place right now. No, I'm not where I you know need to be. I need to go get uh, get some help. I need to go do what I need to do. The level of bravery it takes to, to kind of step away from how you've defined yourself before because you need to kind of you know, take care of your health. I just think that's such an important step. And it's just so cool just to see the end result of what, what I think a year ago was a very brave decision for him. Yes. And I think we need to see more of it. I mean, candidly, it's become a position where it's accepted on a wider range than what we probably understood years ago. But there are still a number of folks that feel that pressure and don't know how to handle it. I think of the number of athletes really across this country um, and specifically female athletes this year that have taken their own lives due to, you know, stresses that uh, from the outside, we, we just can't understand um, what they're dealing with. And so I think every time we get an opportunity to break down the stigma of self-care, um, that's a good thing. And this is a this is an encouraging story for all those who are struggling with um, their own adversity and their own challenges and feeling like they have to perform and that the, being a part of this race, which is athletics, especially at the collegiate level, 
can be really overwhelming at times and it's hard to get off the wheel if you find yourself on it and uh, prioritize anything other than the sport that you're a part of and for those that have, are, are able to take that bold and brave step to say, you know what, I'm not at a good place and I need to, for my own well-being and for my family and those around me, I need to reprioritize. I think that's a positive step. And, and for fans, that can be challenging because our, at times their priority is their team. Uh, but when you, when you start recognizing that these are individuals and they have lives and, and it's bigger than – the game itself, uh, I think that's a positive step in the right direction. On an entirely different subject, kind of an awkward transition, you know, the, the role that NIL is playing in recruiting never stops being a hot topic, it doesn't seem like. And, you know, over the course of the weekend, we saw defensive lineman Sadir Mitchell, who at one point in time had thought to be, you know, very close with Georgia very quickly commits to Texas and it doesn't take much for the rumor mill to get going up. Well, you know, Texas just bought him the way that, you know, Texas and Texas A&M have been rumored <laughs> to be buying a lot of players. And listen, we don't really know what's true on that. You know, there's a lot of the same kind of stuff when it comes to Miami there as well. And obviously Miami got a big offensive line commit over the weekend. And uh, there was another 2024, uh, you know, a departure from the Georgia class that Miami's a part of there too. And, uh, you know, it just leads to this conversation that never seems to stop. And I guess, John, you know, what do you make of all of this? Is there more than one way to go about this? Or is it simply if you're not there to be the highest bidder, if you're not there to offer the most money, then you're going to fall by the wayside. Is there any room for nuance when it comes to that? Or is this strictly a a bidding war now for the best players in college football, the best that you can tell? Well, I think it's an individual situation. I think different players are prioritizing um, those top five decision-making factors in a different way. And NIL has certainly inserted itself into the top three of most of your uh, top-ranked recruits. That's part of their decision-making process now. And in some varying form or fashion, being able to maximize on your name, image, and likeness has become a top priority, and justifiably so. If I'm 17 years old, and you're telling me if, of the various options where I feel like I can succeed, you know, that, that I think that's a precursor. I've got to play in a place that I can find personal success and fulfillment. And once I've cleared that bar, if you're telling me I can make seven figures by going to this place as opposed to another one and still find that uh, level of success that I'm looking for, uh, it, it's hard to justify turning those numbers down. I don't know many people, business people in, in my sphere now that would say, uh, I can justify walking away from an opportunity that could, that could end up blessing me and my family for millions of dollars. So, to make that same decision for a 17-year-old who's saying, man, these are all great schools. I've got nothing but good options. And I can I can capitalize on this opportunity to, to put cash in my pocket like my family has never seen. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a major factor. And I think that's why across the board you see fans and athletic departments and, and coaches and entire programs trying to figure out the best way to um, to win this race. And, and 
what used to be facilities 10 years ago. The arms race has been NIL deals and um, these, these groups that have come together and provided these opportunities for schools that quite honestly weren't at the top of the pecking order. And all of a sudden, Miami and Tennessee and Texas have uh, found their way into the, the conversation where otherwise, based on wins and records and trajectory of the program, they were no longer a part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's been a real game changer. I think uh, nothing short uh, of realizing that would be fair to what NIL has brought to the table. But um, it's one of those things that I think we all just have to learn as we go because it is a, a whole new world for all of us. So there's this perception that's out there, and I don't even know if this is true, but I would certainly say it's the prevailing perception that Georgia right now is seeking a player that obviously you know wants to get paid by NIL but is more concerned with other things you know, his development as a player development as a person and Georgia wants recruits that are choosing UGA for reasons other than NIL in fact Tyler Williams his mom Tyler Williams being a wide receiver that Georgia's uh, recruiting pretty heavily right now his mom was on social media over the weekend saying that she didn't want her son to go to simply the highest bidder that she didn't want it. I'm paraphrasing here, but for, you know, for, for her, for her family, for Tyler it was a lot more than just money. They were after when it comes to their college experience, a lot of Georgia fans obviously like hearing that because I think there are a lot of Georgia fans who are kind of of the belief that the kind of recruits that Georgia are going after are the guys that certainly don't mind the NIL payment, but, but Georgia's trying to sell other things beyond just the NIL and maybe in some cases, other things above the NIL. So in light of what you just said, John, as someone who obviously wants the best for UGA, is there any part of you that's concerned that that won't work? That's just kind of a naive level of sentimentality in kind of a bottom line business of, hey, how much you're going to pay me? That if you're trying to sell something other than payment, then you're just destined to finish second a lot more than you're used to. Is there any concern on your part, knowing business and knowing football, that that, that maybe you're naive if, if you think that's going to work for UGA? No, I, and I again, I think it's a part of the equation. It's a big part of the equation. You can't ignore it, but it's, it's per the individual. It's per their situation, and you have to know that it is a factor. And a lot of times, one of the prevailing factors, but that's not always the case. I think it's an individual situation. And what you see uh, in this particular situation is that it's not the top priority. And for others, it will be. When you look at you know, opportunity to become a millionaire straight out of high school, man, that is very appealing. Um, but for others, they, they're looking at long-term life trajectory, and that's a totally different perspective. And looking at what are the opportunities down the road, and, you know, how can I set myself up in a position to find lifelong success in, in exchange for what I see in the short term? You know, that's each again each situation is going to be different each person is going to evaluate in a different way but i i can think of a number of folks that would find a million dollars to be pretty life-changing for them so um just looking at it and understanding and not convicting for these uh college or soon-to-be college football players as they make their decisions um is going to be a challenge it's a challenge for fan bases because 
you know, we're looking at it as, well, hey, this is, you know, our school, Georgia, can, can be one of the best opportunities for you to find success down the road. And the flip side of that coin might be, maybe so, but as for right now, I might have an opportunity to get five or 600,000 more dollars um, at another place and still have similar opportunities down the road. So I think it's a, a situation where you have to recognize and respect where, where these young men are coming from and their families. And, uh, you know, for each person, it's going to be a different metric and measurement as to how they evaluate uh, their situation and how NIL plays a part of it. I want to ask you one more thing before we let you go. Let me first remind folks that it's uh, Kroger Fresh Take with our buddy John Stinchcomb here today. Happy to having him pinch it here on a Tuesday. And of course, Kroger's got you covered when it comes to some great summertime fun, grilling outside. I know a lot of you are doing that this weekend. Well, Kroger, your great resource for all the fun stuff, whether it be the, the grill that you use or the food that you put on the grill or the outdoor patio furniture that you're sitting on while you're outside enjoying all of that. Kroger's got you covered for all of your outdoor entertaining needs. So stop by and see them in store to find out more or check out Kroger.com slash grilling. That's Kroger.com slash grilling for a lot more on that. John, we'll finish with this. The world has changed quite a bit since you and I last (laughs) spoke. We found out that USC and UCLA, the two big power programs from Los Angeles, way out in the West Coast, are now on their way to the Big Ten and it seems like college sports never going to be the same again. I mean, obviously, the SEC move of bringing in Texas and Oklahoma was the first big domino on this, and USC, UCLA, the next. What is your reaction to all of this about what's happening right now, what's going to happen next, or really anything you want to say about uh, just such an unimaginable turn of events of USC, UCLA joining the Big Ten? What do you think about all this? You know what? I love it because it is (laughs) – when the discussion with Texas and Oklahoma is joining the SEC, I think the, the the primary line of conversation was there will be other shoes that will drop, and this is the next big shoe to drop in a series of events that is totally changing the land. Let's talk primarily about college football. I mean, obviously it will affect other sports, but for the purposes of why these teams and schools are aligning with these conferences, it's because there is a stratification that's occurring. And the SEC was the first to jump on and then I be identified as the premier elite number one conference. And Texas, Oklahoma are looking at it and going, I don't want to be left behind. I cannot be left behind. And so they make that jump. Now you see with USC and UCLA, a similar decision. So outside of the, the Big Ten and the SEC, there is a gap. And I, I would be shocked to think that the next big move doesn't come out of the ACC. I think what you're going to see in the next five years is, is more of a premier league. And then everyone else, and maybe there's play-in opportunities, and we've seen it in other sports and other um, divisions of, of play. But it's going to look totally different. I'm kind of excited because uh, you're either going to embrace it or you're going to hate it. And and right now I'm, I'm at a point where there's too much to uh, take trouble, take issue with, and not say, okay, let's just see where this thing goes. But it's in conjunction with NIL and Transfer Portal and 
these big moves and okay, let's let's see where this thing heads because right now it certainly is the haves and the have nots. The SEC and the Big Ten continue to compile assets and distinguish themselves as uh, the premier opportunity for highest level of competition in college athletics. And so with this, this move, USC and UCLA are trying to stay relevant and have are not willing to sacrifice an entire, the entire remainder of their conference because, quite honestly, you look, you look at what's left and you can't get real fired up. I, the first My first thought kind of went to Dan Lanning and going, man, yeah. that's quite the situation he just walked himself right into, not knowing uh, how different his conference was going to end up looking. No, I think that's exactly right, John. Always love hearing your uh, thoughts about all this kind of stuff. Normally on a Monday, today on a Tuesday, but it's good stuff whenever we can get it. So thanks for being here today as part of our Kroger Fresh Take. We'll look forward to speaking to you in your normal spot uh, next Monday, but I hope your uh, summer continues to go well and you guys uh, have a ton of fun. Thanks for stopping by to see us. Likewise, B.A. Go dog. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think John brings up a, a number of good points, and I want to talk more about what he said in a moment. Let me remind you, though, we're cruising around the SEC right now, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and what a great time it is to start thinking about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. I, I tell you, I'm excited about one coming up here in 2023. I like to kind of have something planned for, like, the other side of football season just to kind of look forward to you know turn into what you hope is another celebration of a great year but but either way fun times for me coming up early 2023 on my next royal caribbean cruise vacation and you're ready i'm guessing for your next or maybe it's your first one and it's really that first time cruiser that i think is such an interesting person to talk to here because you hear us talking about royal caribbean all the time you're like well ba can it really be that fun i i think you ought to try for yourself and, and see for yourself the the options available for you i think are going to be unlike maybe any vacation you've ever taken before and, and maybe you want to start with like a shorter cruise just to kind of try it out and just sort of see what it's like uh well there's plenty of great options there on that you have the three the four night sailings going out of if you live in the atlanta area port canaveral very easy to get to you know right there just beyond orlando that's a pretty easy drive and you can try that out but if you do one of those shorter sailings or even a longer sailing there as well i would say that when i'm looking at royal caribbean i'm kind of beginning my search with those uh itineraries that include perfect day coco Cay, that private island right there the bahamas like that to me really represents the best of what a royal caribbean cruise vacation has to offer and it's the thing that probably sets royal caribbean apart from the rest of the space is probably as well as anything else does that super fun private island perfect day coco Cay, a part of so many of those three and four night sailings uh going to the bahamas you know going out of port canaveral very convenient very fun all the great you know onboard amenities and the ship and everything else there as well but spending that day in perfect day coco Cay, soaking up the thrill side with the water park and the largest water slide and the tallest water slide in north america the chill side where you got that huge freshwater pool and everybody's relaxed having a good time really the best of both worlds there perfect day coco k so my invitation to you is to check that out and allow our friends the cruise and vacation authority to help you do that you can find them online tcava.com that's tcava.com you can also give them a call 770-952-8300 that's 770-952-8300 and uh, check out the cruise and vacation authority today and let them tell you about all the great options that are available to you as a part of a royal caribbean cruise vacation all right let's bounce through this a little bit and and john brings a pretty good point there in relationship with the usc ucla stuff and kind of 
how all this is going to evolve. And as a fan, you sort of have the choice of, are, are you going to embrace this or not? And in one respect, you've sort of got no choice to because it's moving forward no matter what you do. But there's a part of me that wonders, is there a chance that all of this just ends up being like everything else is taking place in college football, where it seems really weird initially, but eventually you just sort of get used to it? Like, is it possible that one day we'll just be used to Texas being in the SEC? We'll just be used to USC being in the Big Ten? Or is this really kind of the start of what feels like a new and different sport? Like right now, it does feel really new and different. And like the thing that I can't quite get over is in a day and age in which everybody seemingly is divided on every single topic, like I really haven't heard a lot of division on this particular topic. Like I'm talking about message boards or commenters to our show or just even people that I just see walking around in normal life. Everybody seems to have an attitude about this, pretty similar to what John said before of, well, listen, I guess we've got no choice but to move forward with this because it's going to happen whether we embrace it or not. But I really haven't heard a lot of sort of full-fledged enthusiasm about this. I haven't really heard anybody say, oh, my gosh, how exciting are the super conferences going to be? I haven't really heard a lot of that yet. And, you know, you can say, well, you know, somebody like me in my 40s, maybe I want to hold on to the way things were back when I was in my 20s or whatever else. But even people who are younger, I haven't heard like a lot of enthusiasm on, you know, from them on this too. Maybe it's there and I'm just not seeing it. But that seems to be kind of the interesting sort of response to this. As we said on uh, one of our shows, I guess we're going back to Friday, that obviously what's next in all this kind of depends on what Notre Dame wants to do and, you know, whether or not a league like the ACC can even hold on to its membership of the entire thing kind of comes uh, apart with, you know, poaching and pulling and, uh, you know, pillaring, uh, you know, from from that league at some point in time. You know, Oregon, Washington, way up there in the Pacific Northwest, a couple of Pac-12 teams that would seem to have at least some value in all of this, that that there is a chance we see even more uh, migration into these SEC, Big Ten-style Super Leagues. But the part of this that's difficult for me to predict is, while on the one hand it's very easy to think, oh, well, the SEC is just going to add a Florida State and a Clemson and whatever – but given the fact that what you add will also become one additional piece of pie that gets divided up out of the total revenue in the league, it's not obvious to me how many teams other than Notre Dame, which is obviously out there in a huge way, it's not obvious to me how many of these other programs you could talk about are truly additive in terms of bringing more into the league than they'd be taking out of it by being just one extra member into the league. That's where it gets tricky as a Clemson, a a, a, a program that shares a relatively small state with the University of South Carolina or Florida State, which obviously the state of Florida is huge, but it shares a portion of that with Florida and Miami and, you know, whatever else that 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 it's not obvious to me how much these other programs, even though they have history of winning games in the field, it's not obvious to me how much they cause the balance sheet to look all that different for the SEC. And that's where it gets tricky about what the SEC's next move might be in uh, particular here. Uh, so there were a lot of recruiting fireworks over the course of the weekend. I hate to use the fireworks analogy. You know, I've already done that, I think, once uh, this weekend. But the point is, um, there was a lot of recruiting news from the weekend. Always a bunch of commitments over the course of these holidays. It seemed like the 4th of July this year, kind of no difference on that. And I, I, I guess when you look at some of the, I guess, the, the bigger stuff, bigger headline here, you know, Miami goes out and gets a huge offensive line commit. Francis uh, Moyaga, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly, top 
uh, offensive tackle prospect in the country among the very best offensive line prospects in the country on his way to Miami another example of what we talked about a moment ago the perception here is that NIL is driving all of this and what this kind of leaves me wondering is okay so what happens next with like the schools who are thought to be the most active in IL like a Miami a Texas A&M and a Texas it's probably those three right those are like the three big NIL programs right now at least that's what the perception is and obviously the key to having great teams is great talent you can't have a great team if you don't have great talent and so in one respect well it just seems logical that if you could use money to attract the number one resource that produces success well of course you do that of course you'd buy that talent and the most ardent defenders of like the nil age that we're moving into would say well, this just goes to show you how inefficient this this market's been in the past, uh, how irrational this market's been in the past. That you had a uh, you know an artificial suppression of the value of of the athletes, the workforce, basically. The, some folks would say for for college athletics, and the fact that you could step in and start buying all this talent um, so quickly just got, kind of shows you how out of whack the market was when before you weren't allowed, you know, kind of on the record above the table to pay these players this kind of shows you you know just how how wrong all of that was that an a&m or a texas or a miami was able to step in and 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 do that so quickly and maybe that is the case maybe that's maybe it's as simple as that but i'm kind of reminded what people say in kind of you know sort of stock market world sometimes wall street world sometimes that markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent in other words you may be making a good bet make made on logical assumptions but (laughs) sometimes it stays illogical and irrational longer than your money can last uh playing blackjack can be the same way that hey if i sit this table long enough my luck's gonna turn eventually but your money may run out before your luck turns there's no guarantee that it won't and for like a&m and for miami and texas these schools that are supposed to be the big nil schools like what happens if it just takes a little longer to win than the people paying this money think it's going to like i looked at major league baseball on this do you know that over the course of the last 30 years in Major League Baseball, this is a sport with no salary cap. So conceivably, you could spend as much as you want on your team to produce a World Series champion. But do you know that over the course of the last 30 years, the team with the highest payroll has only won the World Series four times in that 30 years? I'm talking about in the like the highest payroll in the year they won the World Series only happened four times in 30 years. Now, high pay, it's, it's still good to have a high payroll. It's still good to be able to buy players. But buying the the most players, having the highest payroll, has worked to the tune of a World Series title maybe far less than you assume that it would. And so you kind of wonder, what if the same thing ends up being true with Miami and Texas A&M and Texas? Like, I wonder if there's eventually a market correction here from the standpoint of for the big ego booster throwing around a bunch of money, you know, if, if the return on that investment doesn't come back quick enough, and by return, I mean just pat on the back, you're, you're getting no financial return on this investment but the ego stroke that you want to get from helping your team buy a championship if that doesn't happen pretty quickly you almost wonder does that help bring some of this back under control again because listen there is something about winning in all sports that just simply can't be bought now you can buy your way sort of into the conversation you can acquire talent through money but the actual final step towards winning is really kind of about something else and so I am sort of left to wonder about that, uh, of what happens for a Miami, what happens for a Texas, what happens for a Texas A&M, what happens for these programs 
if they find out that that winning on the field isn't quite as easy as you think it's going to be simply because you uh, allegedly bought a handful's worth of players we'll find that out maybe in the future uh one final note here as well uh obviously your eye on malik benson today that's a junior college wide receiver is taking a visit to georgia seemingly had a pretty good relationship with the dogs i don't know that anybody today thinks that benson's choosing uga uh but nonetheless dogs kind of a hat on the table there for him on that so we'll keep our eye on malik benson making his uh college announcement we'll see what comes from that and for now we'll make that cruiser on the sec courtesy of royal caribbean as we say goodbye to you here today obviously fourth of july on our mind and a lot of folks doing a lot of fireworks and that can be dangerous an example of that uh from a video that came out over the weekend of a dad at a wedding uh, he's probably a little overserved here. He's dancing around. If you're listening to radio podcasts, you obviously won't be able to see this, but he's dancing around, got the fireworks sparklers in his hand, and he's having himself a good time. Listen, I hope to be one day having as good a time at my own kid's wedding, I guess. Uh, he's having a good time, and all of a sudden he lights something on fire behind him. This is courageous, man. You set the fire, it's your job to put it out, and so he just does. He sticks his hand in there. That's clearly not a rented suit, you know, some sort of polyester type deal, because if it was, he'd be going up in flames. But he put it out and just kept right on going. Listen, a lot of respect there for that. We'll make him a, a golden shoe winner, and we'll also say don't try that at home either. How about lousy stinging gators? They're not celebrating. Long title drought for them, 4,926 days. Bad news to be a gator there on that. And guess what? Gatorator countdown, dogs back in Jacksonville. Coming up very soon again beating up on florida all over again it'll be billy napier's first loss in this series we can't wait to see georgia give it to him 116 days from right now that is our gatorator countdown we will see you tomorrow on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia